This podcast is sponsored by our fabulous friends, Chris and Sandra, over at Nacho Mama's Food Truck, NachoMamaSeattle.com, at NachoMamaSCA on Twitter, at NachoMamaSeattle, Instagram and Facebook. Let me tell you what they're serving up hot and fresh this week. Big belly burger nachos, cheddar cheese sauce, ground beef with bacon, and then marinated pork belly, pickled red onions, chipotle mayo, and fresh pineapple. They're also making a veggie chili there to serve up hot and fresh this week, and then cherry coca nib brownies. Ladies and gentlemen, our friends at Nacho Mama's, it is the greatest, the best, the most fabulous, the most wonderful, the goat of nachos today here in the United States of America. No, wait, on this planet. And let me tell you where they're going to be this week. On Wednesday, the 20th of January, Black Raven Brewing in Redmond, 4 to 6.30 p.m. Thursday, the 21st, Optimism Brewing on Capitol Hill, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Saturday, Carn Brewing in Kenmore, 4 to 8 p.m. That's the 23rd of January. February, the 24th, Ridgecrest Public House and Drumlin and Shoreline, 5 to 8 p.m. NachoMamaSeattle.com, NachoMamaSCA, NachoMamaSeattle, hashtag nachos and beer. And we're back on the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast with Podcast Guy. Wow, thanks for having me, man. Be talking to some of the fans up in the, the Pacific Northwest. Your Demi got him death. Pretty good, darling. Pretty good. Yo! We're the Voros twins. They know we like PCO to the horror show. Freaking me out, man. <laughs> Freaking me out, yo! We are leaving the station! L Train, take us out! Yo, this is the L Train. This is the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast, and this is episode 183. How is everyone doing tonight? It's a new week, a new episode, and I hope everyone is just having a great time tonight. Uh, I'm relaxing here. I just got done chatting with the one and only Jacob Oso. You may know him as Jacob Somas or Cubby, but he is now. Jacob Oso. We had a fabulous chat, man. Uh, we talked about his career uh, from 2016 to 2021. You know, what's been going on with him. He's the former Seattle Underground Champion. Um, he is the first ever SOS Pro Wrestling Champion over there at uh, SOS Wrestling. Check it out on uh, YouTube. Um, talked about a lot of uh, stuff he's been doing, uh, matches he's had, his training, friends, family, whole bunch of stuff. He gives us some good stories about training, uh, a defy match he was supposed to have and, uh, you know, what his hardest part is about professional wrestling, what the funnest part is. And then, uh, we talk about a few of his matches. He's had at uh, three, two, one battle back in the past at without a cause and a whole lot of more. So anyway, man, uh, this is the L train. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter at BFPW podcast, um, over at our website, 
BigfootProWrestling.com. And uh, you know what? Next week, let's talk about it. I am going to bring in the one and the only. Supposedly the greatest tag team in Canada right now. The Border Control. So check them out uh, next week. So let's talk about what's coming up on the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, I just told you, Mr. Jacob Oso, dropping tomorrow. Next week, we have the Border Patrol. And then the week after that, the one and only Daniel Makabe. Check us out, BigfootProWrestling.com. We're up on all the podcast places, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, anywhere you pretty much listen to your podcast, we're there. And on, also check out our podcast on BigfootProWrestling.com and also over at SoundCloud on uh, Pro Wrestling Only Network. I am the L-Train, and I am leaving the station. Hey, it's the L-Train, and uh, we're back for another great uh, Bigfoot uh, podcast this week, man. Uh, guy I've seen uh, wrestle uh, plenty of times around here at many different uh, organizations so far, and uh, he is the former Seattle Underground Champion, and he was the first ever SOS Pro Wrestling Champion. It is Jacob Oso, man. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Oh, man, I'm doing good. It's uh, Monday night, just kind of chilling here after work you know I, I feel good it was a good monday today i got a short week because i got wednesday off this week and then i go back to work but uh i'm doing good man but uh how you doing on this uh monday night things working out for you oh things are working out great just like you i had a really easy monday at work uh came home already cooked up dinner got everything set up it's just looking like a relaxing night for the rest of the night Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I had to knock the uh, podcast back 15 minutes, man. I had to cook my uh, Trader Joe's meal for my family. I don't know how much you go to Trader Joe's, but I got these, like, steak tip things and this rosemary sauce, and then I made some some mashed potatoes that you buy in a bag there and fr and microwave them up. It was phenomenal. Oh, my roommate's trying to get me to go there every single day. <laughs> <laughs> you can't stop putting it over. Have you not been to a Trader Joe's? Well, I've been there a couple of times. Uh, it's pretty good food. I really like the fried rice and the vegetable fried rice they have there. But <laughs> I don't know the layout, and it's so much easier for me to walk into Safeway and know exactly where I'm going. So you're compared to walking in Trader Joe's and spending an hour just trying to find where the fruit is. <laughs> well, it's not that really that big of a place, my friend. Yeah, I get lost easy. <laughs> well, you got to get anyone who's ever driven in the car with me. <laughs> are you usually not the one driving the road trips then do they kick you out of the seat someone else takes over no it's the sad thing is i'm the one who almost exclusively drives <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully at least you got a good navigator or something your phone's trying to tell you what to do something oh the phone whoever's sitting in the passenger seat i make it their job to make sure i'm paying attention to it <laughs> oh man oh man well anyway man i was just gonna you know great to have you on the show finally been a little while man i've seen you at quite a few places you know back at three two one and then uh whack you know I, you recently did a show down in uh, eugene at uh pow wrestling man you seem to be getting around so i just wanted to have you on the show man so uh dude tell us where where are you from man you from around here you from the pacific northwest the seattle area 
I am uh, born in Tacoma, but raised in Lacey, Washington. I didn't I didn't get too far north into Seattle until I actually started training. But I'm born and raised basically all in Lacey, Washington. Okay, because yeah, I don't think you're that old of a guy. What are you like? You're uh, you're probably mid twenties or under, right? Uh, twenty four. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're still you're still a young fellow. But, uh, dude, so you went, lived around Tacoma, Lacey area, man. Uh, what'd you do growing up, man? What kind of things did, uh, little young, uh, Jacob do, man? Like, uh, sports, were you into music, uh, you know, choir, whatever. Uh, let's see. I played stand-up bass for like eight years from oh, like fifth grade until I graduated. Uh, for the most part, I stopped sports when I got through middle school. I uh, don't know why I ever stopped sports. Uh, looking back, it would have helped me out a lot. Uh, I would always play like pickup games of basketball or football with friends whenever we could. But for the most part, didn't really get past the middle school level. Uh, for the most part, it was a lot of video games and then just walking around town with friends. <laughs> was the lack of sports because you were just too busy doing the video games and had other things to do? Or it was just like, eh, I don't really want to give that kind of effort? Uh, a little bit of both. <laughs> just got really into video games and it was like this is way easier than running wind sprints oh, i'm sure it is man uh i don't think kids get out quite as much as they used to man uh when i was a kid i spent hours and hours outside but uh i noticed the kids these uh, days you're all up on the video games and staying in the house no nah, i'm just messing around <laughs> it, it is funny i look back at it and like i kind of regret doing as playing as much video games as i did <laughs> like it not just like for wrestling, but just like in general in life, I'd be a much healthier person had I actually stayed in sports. <laughs> I was no good at any sport I ever played. Like I'm really good at pretending to be good up until a ball gets in my hand. But like, I just kind of wish I would have stayed doing it. <laughs> so what, what did you like? Uh, what kind of sports did you like until you decided not to uh, pick up that ball anymore? Uh, football was definitely one that I played every year. Uh, basketball, I would dabble in and out of, uh, see, I, I think basketball is the one I stopped because, uh, being five, eight on a basketball team isn't really <laughs> yeah. good for anybody. I made a, I made a hell of a water boy. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you said you played football a little bit there, man. Were you a big fan of the foot football? Did you watch it on TV with family or anything like that? Good. Every Sunday with my dad watching Seahawks games. Oh, that's good. Still to this day, I watch every single Sunday. I, I at least I try to watch every Sunday. Well, I did until last Sunday, and then I had, or you know, <laughs> I kind of had to give it up after that. I was a little let down by our Hawks this year. I don't know what your thoughts are. Uh, I I can't say I was let down because I went into that game knowing we were the worst twelve and four team to ever make the playoffs. You ain't wrong, sir. <laughs> uh when we lost it i i wasn't surprised the rams are a good team uh, they didn't put up a great showing against green bay but they're still a good team yeah I, uh i immediately switched over to the browns right after seattle lost and uh that didn't turn out well no. so <laughs> going straight to the bills hoping they can <laughs> finally win one you know i might have to go with the bills myself because my second team was the saints and they lost to those freaking tom brady buccaneers yesterday and that's pretty sad. And Josh Allen's doing some work out there in Buffalo right now, and I, I really like the way he's playing. Like, 
probably the only time I'm ever going to have a secondary team. <laughs> oh man, they smoked the Hawks when we, I think we went out there, right? Earlier this year and they just like threw it all over the place or actually ran it on us too. If they destroyed us, like they, <laughs> they were a good team back then and they're even better now. Oh. So I, I really worry for Kansas City's fate in this next week. <laughs> Well, sorry, man. I jumped a little ahead because we started talking Seahawks, and Seahawks is one of those things I could just get into and just like we could be here for another hour just talking Seahawks. So, <laughs> so I'll jump back just a little bit at something you said. You said you played the stand-up bass. Yeah. Now, how did that come about, and uh, how good were you? And do you ever pick up a bass anymore? Uh. So the way that came about, like anybody. There was a girl that I was interested in school, and I was like, I'm going to join the class that she's in. Me not being smart, I realized she joined wind instruments, and I joined string instruments, and there were two <laughs> different classes. And then I just never gave it up. I just kept playing, because I actually I had a little bit of fun with it. Uh, I was never great, but I also put in not a lot of effort into learning. Like I picked up the songs very quick when we had to learn them in class. If I would have actually practiced outside of school or even on like my off time during school, I very easily could have been one of the better bass players or one of the best bass players there. And I say it's funny saying that because I was actually in my advanced bass class and I never actually practiced outside of school. <laughs> uh, getting there wasn't even like a, you're really good at this. It was literally a, we want two bass players and you're the only one here. So you didn't have a base that you could like have at home to practice on when you're at home? No, uh, I, I'm not sure you recognize the school, but I went to River Ridge High School and they're considered a poor school. So mm -hmm. they didn't really have uh, gear to let, any, let students borrow for the year. And the closest music shop didn't have any. Gotcha. So basically you could play it at school and that's it. Yeah. And I just never took the time to like take my free periods or my lunch to practice like I probably should have. <laughs> now did your parents know you could actually play this thing? Oh yeah. They went to my concerts all the time. Every single one they went to, they recorded, they took videos, pictures, some that I hope never get out, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. well, we'll have to contact the parents here. I'll uh, put my special team on that so we can get those pictures and <laughs> put them up at bigfootprowrestling.com. But <laughs> 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 so they didn't ever say, man, you're really good at that and let's get you one for home. Or, you know, maybe money was an object, you know, we, we don't all have, you know, cash back down uh, with was, our parents. I didn't. It was definitely money was the object. Right. Really. Right. But did you actually enjoy playing that or is it just like as soon as school was out or that was done, like that was behind you? It, it's funny because like I did actually really enjoy playing it. I just didn't have like the passion to continue to try and play it or to actually try to become better than what I was. <laughs> it, it was fun to play, but I just, I, I just didn't care that much for classical music at the time. And are you into any kind of music now, man? Like, do you, were you into kind of music as you hit those, uh, later teenage years, any certain bands that really stick out to you? Uh, a lot of pop punk bands. Uh, Simple Plan is a band I listened to when I was like seven years old or six years old. I still listen to to this day. 
uh, some 41, Blink-182. I, I put a tweet out a while ago, and it was like, it's the year 2020, and my music taste is still in 2000. <laughs> and it's very true. Any like pop punk bands from like 1999 to 2005, I still listen to every single day. And for some reason, I just can't stop listening to them. Dude, that's like completely understand because uh, yours truly here, I pretty much don't get out of the 90s very often. <laughs> I'm still into Pearl Jam and, you know, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and uh, Tool and, you know, a lot of those bands from that era, man. You in any of those kind of bands or was that before your uh, time too much? Uh, it's, it's not necessarily that it was before my time. It wasn't my sound that I liked listening to at the time. Like, I, I'll listen to them today. I can't tell you a song name, but like if they turn on one of my playlists, it's more of like a classic rock style playlist. I'll listen to it. I have no problem with it. Like Nirvana probably has one of my favorite sounds out there. What what song's that? If you know the name of it. Uh, I think it smells like Teen Spirit just because everybody knows that one. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's like the first like the- video I saw of that kind of Nirvana, you know, Pearl Jam kind of era. Like it, it, I don't think people realize like the type of pop punk I'm in is usually like the more depressing style sound, but it's the high paced, high uppity, but the lyrics are kind of depressing. And I think Nirvana, I honestly inspire them with that a lot. Nice. Well, if you like, and depressing, it's really sad to say, go ahead. It's sad to say, depressing is my type of music, <laughs> even though like it's all upbeat and it's fun. And, like, I tend to be a more happy guy. But for some reason, this depressing music is what I love. Dude, I completely understand again because I'm a huge Alice in Chains fan. Been since my buddy gave me the cassette back in the day in 1990, 1991 of Facelift. And I burned that cassette out because I played it too much. But talk about depressing, like, lyrics and stuff. But uh, that might be a band you like if you haven't listened to them much. Uh, I haven't listened to them much, but I can definitely add them to my playlist. There you go. Check them out on, uh, you know, Spotify or Amazon, wherever you listen to your stuff these days. I easily add it to my Spotify stuff. (laughs) All right, man. So we talked about some of your activities, you know, back in the day. So, uh, when did, um, you know, you discover pro wrestling for the very first time? Uh, I was actually about to turn 13. I was 12 at the time. It was, uh, 2009. And I remember I was just flipping through the channels uh, we didn't have cable per se, and we were at that time frame when like there was like 14 channels you could actually watch, and the rest of them were just like info shows or like HGTV trying to sell you stuff. And I remember it was like Channel 10, MyQ2, Friday Night SmackDown was on, and Jeff Hardy was just making his entrance to the ring, and it was him versus CM Punk in a steel cage match, and I had no idea what was going on. I didn't understand why there was a crowd there watching two grown men fighting inside of a cage. I had no idea why one of them was in their underwear, but I just couldn't turn away. <laughs> so you thought they were out there in their underwear? Well, at the end of the day, that's what pro wrestling is. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being a kid and seeing it, you know, on WTBS the first time back in the eighties, man, and seeing the guys in the gear myself. And I'm like, where can I get a pair of those? And I remember looking at the stores and everywhere and I was like, how do you find these wrestling trunks? And I had no idea, you know, I was like, I always wanted a pair just so I could wear them around the house when I was like a kid and, you know, taking on my pillow in my room. (laughs) (laughs) A little known fact, those are very, 
as you found out, sure, surely, uh, very hard to get and very expensive once you find them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, uh, you know, tell us about that real quick, man. Is there certain people that make, uh, Cubby's gear for you or, you know, is there certain people that kind of help out here in the area with gear? Uh, there's a guy who I go to for the, for, uh, uh, like first couple sets of gear, actually, it was named Jordan Christensen. He, I, I found him thanks to a lot of the guys at three, two, one, they used him. He does a lot of stuff for uh RuPaul's drag race, which I had never heard of that until <laughs> they told me about his gear and they're showing me pictures. I was like, wow, this is, this is different. It's like, it's kind of cool. I'm look, looking at all the gear that he's made and I just sent him the idea for what I wanted and, a month later, he had all my gear set up, and it was all ready. Uh, my first pair of gear, I was really proud of. It was a uh, brown pair of tights. That was a horrible set of gear <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, because not horrible on his part, horrible on my thought, because who wears brown to the ring? It's <laughs> a horrible color to wear as a set of gear. But uh, he kind of helped inspire me to get the uh, ripped-up shorts look. Hey, he... He uh, honestly just sent me the idea, and he was like, "You're an animal, right?" Yeah, and he's like, "Why is why does your gear look normal? <laughs> it, it looks like something everybody would wear. You need to wear something that looks like it's torn up, like an animal would be wearing." And I was like, "You know, man, you're the artist. Uh, here's my measurements. Make me something." A few weeks later, I had the black and red ripped up shorts. And uh, did those just be like, you know, became you, you loved them? and Yeah, I love them. I mean, for the Cubby character and the Jacob also character, the entire idea is like, I'm an animal. <laughs> Why does an animal have normal clothing? My stuff should look ripped up. I, I live in the forest. Things are always getting torn up. Things are always getting ripped up. And like the more ripped up and more like animalistic the gear looks i think the better it comes across that i'm trying to portray this animal or this bear in the ring <laughs> well let's jump back a little bit i got ahead of myself once again because i just get so excited when i hear you say certain things or you know my guests do <laughs> but uh you know we're talking about uh, first memories of pro wrestling so uh, and you saw the smackdown and then um you know was it a family thing? Was it a friend's thing? You know, where did this kind of like take off from there? Uh, basically, I just, my family didn't care for it. They didn't watch it at all. I was the only one in the house watching it. Uh, my dad would always tell me stories about watching Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. He got excited because I was getting excited for something he was into. But <laughs> the wrestling that he was into is not what it is that I was getting into. It's completely different styles, completely different like characters. So he just never really attempted to continue to get into it. <laughs> uh, I think the thing that like really got me into it was WrestleMania 30, Daniel Bryan versus Triple H. Like I, I, I don't know how else to put it other than like I started following Daniel Bryan's career when he debuted in NXT back when it was like this game show style or like reality show thing that they were doing. And like something about him just being roughly the same height as I was, <laughs> roughly like the same weight. Uh, when I was in my better shape, like it, we were basically the same build. And 
I, every time I like looked at him, I was like, there's no reason why I can't be like this. Like I could legit be a pro wrestler. Like it's, it's a, it could become a reality. If someone his size can do there's no reason why someone my size can't. They had his match with Res- at WrestleMania 30 with uh, Triple H, a match that I've mm. probably watched a hundred times. I, I love the match. I love everything about it. It's probably one of the best storytelling matches that ended up going into him winning the main event at WrestleMania. And it was like at that moment, I realized this is something I could do. I can be this. I could, I could go on to main event WrestleMania one day if I really put the work in. So was he really the first guy that kind of, uh, at your size really just inspired you? There wasn't a lot of guys before that, was it? Everyone else was kind of, you know, a lot bigger, Triple H and Batista and Orton. And, uh, you know, most of those guys, did you know of Daniel Bryant before he went to WWE or did you know anything about that before? I didn't, I didn't know anything about the Indies until I started wrestling, which (laughs) actually sounds pretty bad starting wrestling and just instantly thinking like, Oh, it's being WWE in like a week, but (laughs) realizing there is a whole nother world of pro wrestling outside, outside of WWE. And that's when I started uh, learning about Brian Danielson and all of his ring of honor stuff, his old PWG stuff, just all the stuff he's done around the Indies and saying that like he, it wasn't, it was about that time I started realizing, Oh, he came from Washington and he moved somewhere else to go, make his dream come true. And I like, I don't know why, but that always stuck with me. as like something that I should, I need to do one day. And I don't really know where I'm going from here, to be honest. I just got sidetracked into what I was saying. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> it happens. No, we were talking about that big match. We, you know, with Daniel Bryan and them. And then I asked you, you know, if, um, you know, is there anyone else you remembered or Daniel Bryanson before that, you know, and you know, you hadn't really watched much indies before that, but no, you were saying it's kind of embarrassing, but it's not, man. You're a young guy. I mean, when you first get into wrestling, it's, you know, unless there's someone in your family probably grabbing you and taking you down to, you know, Washington hall or the evolved gym or, you know, any of those places, you know, that's kind of where you're learning wrestling, right? Yeah, like it really is those small places that you really learn it. And like I'm still in those places trying to learn every single day, trying to learn everything I possibly can to make it to the next level. <laughs> Getting to that next level, like I, it's a weird thing to say, but I feel like I was on that turn of like if I can make it to that next level, then everything would have changed for me. <laughs> so was it weird for you then at finally figuring out when, you, okay, I want to wrestle? okay, I'm not going to WWE in two weeks. Oh, yeah, it was definitely weird. Like, the first time I got in the ring and doing, like, my first rolls and my first bumps, that was a wake-up call. <laughs> like, this is so much harder than it looks on TV. <laughs> this, this is not a joke. This is some serious stuff. And then something about it, like, I remember waking up sore the next day after the first training, and I had to go to work, and I couldn't move my neck. And something about that, I was like, I'm going back tomorrow. (laughs) So even after the pain, the blues and the agony, as Dusty would say, you still were like, fuck it. I'm going back tomorrow. I don't care what I feel like. Yeah. I mean, like, it's weird thing thinking back at it now to today, but like at that time that I started training, I was a person who like, I didn't do anything by myself. I always had a friend with me when I started training. I had a friend with me to go to it, but like when they opened up classes and they're like, Hey, come to this one, come to that one. 
just keep coming to class if you want to. And like, I didn't really have a friend and know anybody, but it was like the first time in my life. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it by myself. I'll make it a thing. And then eventually I got, I became friends with everybody where I was training and that took time, but it was the first time in my life. I ever like legit did something independent on my own to get somewhere that I wanted. Fuck, that's dope. But how did you, you know, when did you, I know you said you talked about that Daniel Bryant. You said, you, you know, a guy that size, you can, you can, you can do it yourself. You can be the WrestleMania guy. Um, you know, it's thinking it's one thing, but how did you make it happen? Where did you, did you find a school? Did you, like you said, was there a friend that said, Hey, let's go do this. So like I was working as a lot attendant at a car dealership and one of my buddies was a salesman. And he was the first guy who I ever like actually connected with wrestling. Cause I found out he was a really big fan of it too. And he comes up to me one day, like I'm just finished parking your car. He's like, Hey, uh, do you want to go to a wrestling school tomorrow? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> not going to say no. Um, did you find one? Like the only one I know about was buddy wins. And he's like, yeah, there's a place called three, two, one battle that trains. Right. I was like, Oh, I don't know what that is, but sure. Which, like, probably a really bad mistake, but I heard pro wrestling training and instantly said yes. I had no other choice other than to say yes. Okay, so your buddy says, let's do this. Um, yeah, he he trained for about two weeks and then he had to stop. Okay. And well, that was, like, where the me becoming, like, kind of independent, making sure this is something I actually continued oh, okay. doing kicked in. So your bro kind of had to kick out after a couple of weeks. But uh, tell us about walking in there on that first day, man. Like, uh, did you have, you know, what you needed to wear? What did you think at this, man? With everyone staring at you? What happened? Uh, first day, I did not have anything I think I needed to wear. <laughs> I didn't have knee pads. I didn't have shoes. Like, I walked in with a t-shirt and some shorts and some running shoes that I was actually wearing at work that day. Oh wow! I I didn't know what what I was supposed to be wearing. I didn't I didn't think much about it. I was just so excited to be there. Uh, I remember the first time I saw the ring. Like it was literally the first time in my life I ever saw a ring in person. And I was I was mesmerized by like for one how tall it was. I I didn't realize rings would be this big <laughs> in real life. Some uh, some are taller than others. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> the. The whack ring, I, I enjoy that one because it's the only time I see eye to eye with the top <laughs> rope when I'm on the ground. <laughs> but like the three, two, one ring, like if it, I don't know, this is like the first time I touched the ropes, the first time I actually got in the ring, there was just something about it that like kept calling to me of like I need to keep doing this. This is this is insane to even like be here. So you got in there, you're doing some training people, you know, someone obviously is there telling you what to do and whatever else, man, were you just, was it an adrenaline rush that first day hitting all these things or were you just dying? Like, Oh my God, I can't wait till this ends and I can just go home. Uh, definitely was not dying. I was, I don't know if there was an adrenaline rush rush. There was definitely a lot of nerves. I was really nervous the first day. <laughs> was, I, it, I, was it a lot of, uh, was, like drills, cardio, instead of like getting in there and tying up and that stuff at the first time? Uh, it wasn't a lot of drills or cardio. It was a lot of, it was a little bit of tying up, learning how to lock up. Uh, I did rolls and bumps. Probably wasn't trained the traditional way that I should have been trained. 
but I still got to where I am today. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way. Hey, uh, my, fir- my first day, I had to take what's known as a high bump, which is basically like taking choke slams. And uh, that was that was something <laughs> rattled my head my first day of training. Um, did, how did you take it, man? Did you smash your head? Did you know to, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a wrestler, but I always know everyone says, <laughs> keep your head, you know, tilted up or, you know, chin down or whatever they say, you know, I'm not the wrestler, but man, did you, did you do the thing right? Or did you smash your skull? <laughs> so I did it right. This is a funny thing is like the bigger bump I did, right. I was fine with that one. Uh, it was the normal bump. My first one definitely smashed my skull. <laughs> mm, mm. That that rattled me. I was dizzy for like five minutes, but I didn't I didn't tell anyone because I was just I was too excited to be there. Right. Do you think you were concussed? Uh probably. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Not like memory concussion because I can still re- I still remember the entire experience. Oh, okay. First day. You're not so bad then. You're young. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was more like it definitely rung the bell. Oh man. So uh man. Pain, blues, injury. So that first day, you got through it, you know, smashed your skull a little bit, but uh, went to work. You said, was it after work or after that you went to work or the next morning? The next morning I had to go to work. All right. Uh, so you see, felt like crap. Oh, it felt horrible. It was a mix of things too, because I didn't get home till like midnight and I had to wake up at 6 a.m., which <laughs> I didn't fall asleep till like 1 or 2 a.m. because I still had a little bit of an adrenaline and oh, yeah. some nerves that were running through me that I just couldn't fall asleep. Oh yeah, you're probably still totally ma- just buzzed, like you know, just had my first day of wrestling. It's incredible. Oh, I. It was probably one of the hardest nights I've ever had trying to fall asleep. Oh, I man. remember waking up and like, like I said, like I could not move my neck. <laughs> like, I ha- I had to get up, and for the first time ever, I did a straight leg sit up because <laughs> I just I couldn't get my neck and head to work. Yeah. So that's like With a sit the rest up like of my body. That's sitting up like the Undertaker kind of. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you did your Undertaker <laughs> move, so you can I get up in the, the morning. Undertaker move because your head was all screwed up. Was there a headache going on? Anything, man? Funny enough, no headache. Just like constant. It was sore and pain from my neck down to my hips. Mm. So did you get up? start hydrating did you get some tylenol some advil in that body or are you just young like screw uh, it i'm just gonna move on a couple things of ibuprofen uh it was like minimal strength ibuprofen i think i took like two tablets because i've never taken it before in my life <laughs> i was just told hey if you're sore just take some of this you'll be fine uh drank a little bit of water and then went to work and had i'm not gonna lie probably the most miserable day of work i've ever had in my life oh. and <laughs> It was an easy day of work, just a very difficult, difficult day of like actually getting through my job. Sounds like the only thing I could maybe compare it, maybe compare it to is, uh, maybe a hungover day when I was in my early twenties and have to go to the work the next day. <laughs> uh, someone who is in my early twenties and have, has had a few hungover days. <laughs> it's pretty close, but instead of like the brain tiredness, it's just all upper body. Oh man, man! Oh, sorry, my cat's yuck yelling in the corner. I'm like, what the hell was that? But yeah, my, my cat lives out here in the garage. She's getting a little crazy over there. But uh, man, that's some crazy stuff. So tell us, you got off work. Now, did you jump back in the vehicle? 
head down and uh, get back to training? Oh, yeah. Jumped right in and went straight back to training. How'd that feel day you know, two? I asked, I, I asked them first thing was like, okay, so how do I get rid of this neck pain? And the trainer at the time just said, you don't. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's just going to be there for a while, especially with less than six hours of sleep, no healing. You're back in it the next day. So do you feel that next day it was a little bit tougher even? Uh, it was definitely tougher to move around in the ring. And just over time, I guess I started to get used to it. Like actually learning how to stretch out my neck, learning how to stretch out my back. That helped a lot, but at the end of the day, I'm still sore and stiff from wrestling the night before. Mm. And that's, it, it's funny because if you ask a lot of people around the Northwest, this is kind of what started my trend of only sleeping four or five hours a night. The, uh, a few people would probably know better than others. Like I had this weird schedule where I'd go to work, I'd go to training, I would lift weights, I'd get home around midnight fall asleep around 2, 2 a.m. after like eating, decompressing for my day, and then wake up right at 6, 7 a.m. to go to work the next day. And this was just a trend for like two and a half years. Man, sleeping four to five hours a night and doing all that, man. Are you still uh, when only I, sleeping four to five wrestling, hours? Sorry, what was that? Are you still only sleeping four to five hours? Oh, no. During this pandemic, I've actually gotten to know what it's like to sleep for eight hours a night. And I got to be honest, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Man, sleep's good for you. As an old man, I missed out on a lot of sleep when I was younger. Now I'm catching up, man. Uh, Get that sleep when you can, man. It helps helps the body. (laughs) Oh, definitely working on that now. (laughs) So any other uh, crazy uh, training stories you got to share? I can't think of a lot off my, I, I really can't think of a lot off my mind. I, or off the top of my head, nothing crazy, really. A lot of classes were just pretty simple chain, run some spots, do some cardio, and then get told to go work out afterwards. <laughs> you ever been training and just hit something and it just like jolts your body and you got to like, kind of call it quits for the day? Uh, every now and then there, there, I can't remember any off the top of my head. I do know there's definitely a few like times I've landed on my face or I've landed on my head. Mm. I've never had like a stinger in my neck, which is very lucky. I think it was just, I just had days where I definitely, I took a move wrong or I took, I did something and I was just like, my body is not into this today. I got to step out. Mm. Like I'm going to hurt someone. I'm going to get hurt. Like I'm just going to stay to the side for now. Mm. which is probably because I was getting four to five hours of sleep a night. Yeah. Maybe had nothing so. to do with my actual work, <laughs> work in the ring. Four to five hours. My God, man. But, uh, so, you know, you talked about, you know, I had this pal you went to class with, he lasted a couple of weeks. He couldn't do it, you know, anymore. You kept on, pushed yourself on, uh, during your training there at three, two, one, uh, man, did you meet some friends that you're still really close with now that were in the training with you? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I actually live with one of them right now. Funny enough. Uh, he went by Cole handcuff while he was around. (laughs) He was a member of the bad cops. Uh, uh, he's a fun guy outside of the ring. He was funny in the ring. Uh, Nerdstrom and romantic Romeo are probably some of my best friends, to be honest. 
I had uh, Andy's. <laughs> if you uh, followed social media during the beginning of this pandemic, you'll actually know that like Andy's, Nerdstrom, Romeo, and our buddy Dexter Beckett <laughs> watch WCW pay-per-views basically like every other night. Uh, basically, like this is just our way to like continue talking, continue being friends. But also, I never watched WCW, so it was their excuse to get me to watch it finally. Never watched WCW. You know, I'll, I'll forgive that because you're a young guy. <laughs> but man, I grew up like on the NWA, which really turned into WCW. I was a huge Nitro fan, you know. But obviously, when the Attitude Era and Stone Cold and Rock and Undertaker started doing all that crazy stuff, it was fun too. But man, those Nitros from like 95 to 98, 99. Those were great stuff. And then those old shows from WCW in the day, WCW Saturday nights. I, I've definitely learned from watching all this WCW lately that I, I know I'll probably get crap for it. Uh, <laughs> Buff Bagwell is my favorite WCW wrestler, hands down. Um, he was the uh, most entertaining guy I've ever watched in the ring. Like He was just funny to watch. And then Lex Luger, if I never see another clip of him again, I will die happy. <laughs> yeah lex was something else buff bagwell was entertaining i'll give you that i'll give you that he he was the most entertaining wrestler i saw <laughs> out of everybody else there and it, it literally came from like i was watching one of his entrances i don't even remember what pay-per-view it was but his back was to the camera he was staring at the entrance ramp and his pyro goes off and he just turns around and just directly eyes to the camera just goes do you see that shit <laughs> ah, and then he just went, <laughs> he went into the ring and for some reason i was like that's my guy oh man that that's that is my wrestler so have you know you said you're watching the pay-per-views with your buddies or whatever but um have you went back and watched a lot of the nitros and the thunders and things like that uh not a lot of the nitros and thunders i went back and i watched the first nitro ever that was pretty cool to watch dude uh, I... in the mall of america oh yeah man that was great and they had lex show up the first time and Sting and Flair wrestled. Hogan took on, uh, what was it, Big Bubba or I can't remember, Big Boss Man or whatever. But <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't remember his WCW name. I know, I know it was Biff, uh, Big Boss Man, though. Yeah. It was, I think they called him Ray Trailer later, but yeah, he had a lot of names too. <laughs> <laughs> that was like some great times, man. I, you know, as a, as a fan, I would tell you and go back and watch as many of those uh, nitros. Uh, just binge that stuff from episode to episode. It's really a lot of fun. Eventually, when you get, uh, it kind of stalls out a little bit because they went too much NWO for too long, and then Russo came in and really did not do a good job. <laughs> but uh, man, it's I, like, I I never watched it, but like of course, being a wrestling fan, I've done nothing but watch YouTube channels about wrestling back then. So like. It's going to be fun. Eventually, I will actually get to it and actually watch all the Nitros. But I do know a lot of the history of WCW, which is thanks to a lot of these uh, YouTube channels I watch, like What Culture and uh, Cultaholics. Mm. Are you a guy that likes to go back and watch a lot of documentaries from the wrestlers and things like that? Like whether it's on WWE or stuff you can find like on the internet or Amazon Prime or Netflix, things like that? Uh, I will every now and then. I can't say I've watched any about WCW. Uh, I know, I think the first one I ever watched was a documentary about uh, Rey Mysterio when he was coming up from Mexico hmm. and eventually getting 
to WWE. It was like the first one they ever made of his, and I can't think of anything else. But like, I do love watching those old uh, documentary style things talking about a wrestler's life. Oh man, I love that stuff. I could sit there and watch it for hours. I was I found one. I, I don't know if you guys have got Amazon Prime or whatever on your you know smart TV or whatever it is. But uh, Vampiro's got a pretty good uh, um, documentary on there right now. It's called the not the Rise and Fall. It's called the Fall and Rise or something like that of Vampiro, and it's. It's a really good documentary. They follow him around on uh, the AAA stuff, you know. Really cool. You can go ahead and write that down. <laughs> yeah. If you can find the it. Vampiro is one of those wrestlers that, like, every time I saw him in WCW, I I liked watching him. He was he was really good then. Definitely, like, underrated for what he ended up doing later on. Definitely. I When he first came in there, I was like, who the hell's this guy? Why are they putting him against Sting and all these guys? But he like came through. He did some crazy like stuff, man. And then seeing what he was in AAA, and you know he left Canada just to go to AAA, and you know there was so much stuff that came across in that documentary. They talk about the sexy star thing when she slapped Rosemary in that arm bar. Jeff Jarrett was a little crazy at the AAA show. Man, you got to watch this. It's it's great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so right, oh, I got that written down. down in my notes. There you go. There you go. All right, man. Let's jump back to you a little bit here, man. So, uh, I don't know if we mentioned or not, uh, when did your first match happen and who was it against? If you remember, uh, I remember who it was against. I remember it was four months after I started training, which like, I really don't want people to hear that and be like, Oh, you learned really quick. I was thrown into a match way too early. <laughs> I was not ready. I didn't even have wrestling gear. I was wrestling in, Basically the same shorts and a three two one t shirt. Uh, like you, the same shorts I started training in and a three two one t shirt. It, it was a very, very horrible match. Uh it was a tag match against Weekend Warrior and Sing Lao, who later went on to become Power Warrior. He's actually from uh Singapore. Mm. It, it was a bad match. <laughs> I really hope I, I pr- wish I didn't say it now. <laughs> I don't want people to go back and watch that. All right, let's go check out YouTube, everybody. No, just uh, <laughs> kidding there, man. So so how was it for you? you? You said it was a terrible match. Was it, you know, like you didn't know really what you're doing? Were you like, you know, starry-eyed? W- what was it about it? Uh, yes to both of those. <laughs> like <laughs> at the time, I thought it was great because it was my first match. I thought it was awesome. But like going back and watching it back, I it, it became very apparent that like, I don't know when you watch this match, you can tell, I don't know how to wrestle. I don't know how to act in front of a crowd. I don't know how to perform the moves I'm doing, how to do. I don't know how to wrestle in general. I do have, I have no idea what pro wrestling is. And for some reason I was in the majority of this match. Mm. (laughs) Oh man. So, uh, it didn't go well once you kind of thought about it. Uh, so kind of went, tell us from there just a little bit, like, did you start wrestling every week, every two weeks, you know, did you have some time to like train some more after that? Cause you weren't really ready uh, for that match. It sounded like. I was not ready for that match whatsoever. Uh, basically I was brought in to be a young boy or like somebody to come in and take the falls for the team I was on at the time. Mm. And, and I was really good at that if I was only going in there to like take a move and then take the fall. But I was always asked to do a lot more. 
I, I trained as much as I possibly could. Like I remember at the time they only had like two or three classes on during the week. So I'd show up to every single one of those. And then it was maybe once a month, I think more likely once every other month I was wrestling hmm. for the first year, year and a half. Uh, there was a time like I broke out on my own with a guy named Krakatoa. We kind of became a tag team for a bit. And then I was from then on out. After we became the tag team, he ended up having to leave for some medical reasons. And then I kind of just went off on my own. And from that point on, it was every two weeks on three, two, ones. And then whoever else would book me, which was very rarely anyone else would for a while. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you real quick. I see here on February 12th, I think is the date here, unless I'm reading this wrong, but, uh, 2017 anyway, with, uh, WCWC, dude, it looks like you wrestled a whole bunch of matches on one day. <laughs> so it was like, uh, what do they call it? The hunger slam 24 hour yeah. wrestling marathon. How crazy is that when you're wrestling for 24 straight hours, my friend? Oh, it's pretty crazy. This is definitely during the highlight of my drink as much energy drinks as I can get as little sleep as I can. Oh God. And just in general, just be stupid <laughs> as a like human being towards my health. It was so much fun to wrestle on that show, though. Like the people who run the show or ran that show, absolutely hated it because it was twenty four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it was so much fun. Uh, basically, like I think it averaged out to a match every two hours during the duration of it. Mm. Uh, but it it was definitely like a, I had two or three matches in the duration of two hours, took an hour and a half, two hours off, and then went and did a couple more matches, took a nap, did a couple more matches. Like I just kept coming back. Like we had a list in the back for matches and people to wrestle. And I just kept making sure like, all right, well, my, my name's on this one. Um, <laughs> my name will be on this match. I'll do that match. I'll have a two hour break here. I'll just, I'll go take a nap and I'll come back and then I'll do this match. Uh, I can definitely say I was never more sore in my life than after doing a hunger slam. <laughs> well, man, some of these people that you wrestled in, it looks like you had a tag match with, uh, Dave Turner versus the a team at one point. Uh, you took on <laughs> Judas Icarus. I mean, man, there's so many people that you took on here. Like, Ricky Gibson's on this card, Eddie Pearl, Mr. T Clark Connors of a lot of, you yeah. know, New Japan Pro Wrestling Man uh, was on this uh, show. So, man, there, crazy stuff, there man. Was a, there was a lot of names on that that I ended up wrestling that I had no right to be in the ring with. <laughs> uh, for, there is small story about the the me and Dave Turner versus the A-Team. Okay. Uh, we signed up for it. And it was one of the matches where I was told, like, all right, well, you probably have, like, two hours before the match happens. So I was like, cool. I'm going to go take a nap then because it's 3 a.m. Mm. Uh, I go take a nap. I wake up about an hour later, and I'm walking in. I don't even have my shoes on. I'm, like, I'm wearing sweats. And then Dave comes up, and he's like, hey, uh, we're next. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my exact reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even tie my shoes. Like, I got in, 
I put my uh, leg coverings over my shoes so I can kind of hide it. And then we just ran out there. We did a very bad match at 3 a.m. Or I think at this point it was 4 a.m. To, I want to say, seven people. And five of them were sleeping. Oh, wow. Um, real quick, say those ma- let me ask those you. Matches between- yeah, go ahead. Where did you go sleep? In your car? Uh, no, they actually had like a little auditorium area that all the wrestlers were sleeping in. Oh, okay. That's cool. You'll get a little shut eye and a, a safe place. Yeah, it, it was pretty nice there. <laughs> now, do you remember uh, locking up with Cart Connors at all? Uh, no, actually, I don't think we ever have. Oh, okay. Cause that looks like a, I think we a were, big tag match. I think we were in a, um, we were in a battle Royal together. We might've been in like a five on five match, but we never actually like, we never touched each other. Never locked up. Oh, I'm Didn't really right get in there together. All right. You guys were on the same team on that day. It was the uh, five Probably. man or something like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So man, that's crazy, man. Uh, so you've done that a couple times now, those shows. Uh, they only ever ran two of them and I did both of them. Did you wrestle that many, uh, matches on both shows? Uh, yeah, I think the first year I did 13, the second year I did 12, or it might've been the other way around. I know I did a lot of matches. Mm, mm, mm. Dang. That's crazy, man. I didn't crazy enough. Like I didn't even do the most matches. I think the first year Ricky Gibson actually had hit the record of 15 matches. And then the second year, Troy Prescott, I think, hit 14. I could see where Ricky so Gibson like, did that. That guy's crazy. Oh, yeah. He's psychotic. I love <laughs> the man. Man, he, he, <laughs> and, uh, man, the four minutes of heat, man, they're, they're, they got good things coming along, I think. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> so, dude, let me ask you this. Uh, what's the hardest part about being a professional wrestler for you? Hardest part for me... I guess when pro wrestling is like in full swing pre-pandemic, it was uh, having free time. Like, I'd say my second, third, going into my fourth year, it was it was zero free time whatsoever. Like, I was at work, I was at Evolve training, or I was working out, and then from there, I went straight home eat, sleep, and just do that all over again. And then if I wasn't wrestling on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, I was still in the gym training or doing something to help me progress in wrestling. Like, I very rarely actually had a day that I just sat down and, like, played video games or rested or, like, just did nothing. My free time was virtually gone. It's like, wasn't a lot of time hanging out with family. wasn't a lot of time hanging out with friends. Like I would, if I was in the car ride by myself, I would call my family and friends mm. to talk to them. But that was like the extent of the interactions that I ever had with anybody. Mm. So basically it just took away all your free time and you know, you're training, doing all you can. Yeah, I did everything. Like it sounds like the normal sacrifice a lot of wrestlers make, but like I, it's sometimes I think I took it overboard. So, uh, you know, let's go the opposite of that. Not the, uh, easiest part, but the funnest part for you being a professional wrestler. That's easy. Entertaining people. <laughs> but 
I, throughout like school, throughout any of my friends, anybody can tell you, I like to make people smile. I like to make them laugh. I really do just enjoy seeing happy faces out there and like entertaining people to any extent I possibly can is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> just I, the opportunity to go out there, even win, lose or draw, seeing somebody smile when I enter the ring, seeing someone smile when their favorite person wins is like, looking out of the crowd and just seeing people genuinely having a good time and being happy. It, it just brings so much joy to me and it makes me so excited for like the next time I get to do it. Hmm. Like I probably shouldn't say this on a recording, but like I could care less about the money. And as long as like I can pay for my gas to get to and from shows, I could care less about it. If you put me in front of bigger and bigger crowds, it's just a bigger opportunity for me to entertain people. I, could care less about money or doing this for fame like really is just entertaining people is so much fun for me so you just love to do it at this point oh yeah like of course i want to get to the bigger and bigger levels right get to wwe and make a living off of doing pro wrestling but like just the idea i i remember so many shows where like the crowds are kind of dead and it's not necessarily because I had any star power, but like something about the music I was using at the time and my energy when I came to the ring just lifted them up a little bit. And it is like, you can see people like depressed because I'll probably watch Drexel go out there and win a match. <laughs> <laughs> I love Drexel, but he is a bad guy. People don't like it when bad guys win. But then they see this kid coming out to bare necessities and you can't help but smile and laugh. <laughs> I love that theme song, by the way. I'm going to have to steal it, put it on this podcast when I introduce you in the beginning. I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> but, uh, man, so tell us about it, man. Like, I'm just going to ask you real quick, you know, three, two, one battle, you know, you train there, met a lot of good friends there. And then recently it's kind of, you know, it, it, it collapsed because of a certain few people didn't do the right thing or whatever it might be. I don't know. I'm not on the inside, but. I don't want to discuss that piece of it really, but I just want to ask you, you know, how tough was it to see this thing go that, you know, you and a lot of people built up through the years, you know, into this really great promotion and then it's just gone and it's not there for, you know, you to go to every other week and wrestle on Twitch and, you know, all that kind of stuff. What are your feelings on all that, my friend? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sad about it. Most I still think about the show all the time. It's like you said, like a lot of us put in a lot of work to build that show up to make it a more legitimate, more fun, like just an all around wrestling show that people just want to go to some somewhere to go every other Friday night or something to watch every other Friday night. Like it, there was a lot of work done and put into that show, and like, not having it around, like it, especially right now, like during the pandemic. Yeah, of course, we couldn't wrestle, but knowing that it would still be around when this is all over mm-hmm. would put a, I'd at least put my mind at ease. Like, it, I don't know other words to say, but like, it just sucks. Was it kind of hard? I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, it, was it hard uh, to kind of figure out what to do with yourself every other Friday night? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, luckily, like, when this sounds like a horrible thing, but like, it went away at like the perfect time because it was right when the pandemic was hitting. Mm. So luckily 
there wasn't a lot of like, okay, well, what am I going to do next Friday? I don't have the show to go to. It's like, all right, well, this pandemic's going on. There wouldn't have been a show to go to anyways. So it's like, I can't really be sad about not having a show to go to, but I can like, I, I'm still upset about it being gone and knowing that when this pandemic's over, there's not going to be a place. There's not going to be a battle palace. It, it, there won't be a wrestling show every other Friday that has like a consistent schedule. Oh man. And, it, and it's sad for a big chunk of wrestling fans here in the Pacific Northwest, you know, especially here in, you know, Washington and Seattle. Cause you know, like I was telling you before we hit the record button there, you know, I couldn't make it there every other week. It was kind of a late night on a Friday for an old man like myself, <laughs> but I would watch on Twitch or I would watch it the next morning, you know, get up and have my coffee and watch the matches, man. And, uh, I really enjoyed it, man. And it was really a hard thing to, uh, to see it go. And, uh, I really felt bad for guys like yourself, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of great people that wrestled there and entertained because they loved it and did it for the people that came to see them. It's kind of where my mind went afterwards too. Of like, I don't have this anymore. That just means I got to fight that much harder for the next one, for the next show, wherever it may be. Like I, it's kind of like a, I don't know if it's a dumb thing to think, but I really like challenges and three, two, one became a point where it's like, I know I'm going to be on this, but now I have to challenge myself to get onto other shows which to me is going to be another fun one when this pandemic's all over. Oh yeah. And I think I remember that, uh, a battle mania. Didn't you, uh, win that underground championship at battle mania in a ladder match? Yeah, it was, uh, my second battle mania. Nice. Uh, interesting story. Like about that, uh, the guy who walked into that battle mania with a title was Rook Kelly. <laughs> um, so, the year before that, Rook and I were in the six-pack challenge match. We helped open the show. And afterwards, I think it was like a week after, I was talking to the bookers about, I just straight up told them, like, I want to walk in next year either as a champion or walk out as a champion. And I'm going to do the work to get there. And the words that were told to me was, I don't even know if you're going to have a spot on it next year. So let's we'll see what happens. <laughs> and... Like I mentioned Rook because that was basically told to him too of like he was on this path of not being a part of three two one anymore. Wow. And somehow both of us figured it out. We both got characters that worked out, both worked harder than anybody else there. To the point where we ended up main eventing the next show. Nice. The like he walked in as the champion and I walked out. So like that was a that's a touching moment that we, Rook and I still talk about to this day. Because oh, it's something that we both, we know that we worked our ass off to be the guys considered not even a part of the company a year from now to main eventing it. Oh, man, that's fabulous, man, because that's something you guys will have forever when you look into each other's eyes, when you see each other's and, uh, you know, fist bump like bros. Yeah. So, man, uh, you know, get away from 321 battle a minute, you know, there was another uh, promotion that bared its head come October 2018, and that was without a cause. Um, you know, Dave and Chris and uh, and Max put this show together, and it looks to me like here, when I'm reading at a seat at the table, 
Uh, you took a match over uh, Cody Chun, did you not? I did. <laughs> Tell us about I'm, Without a Cause coming up there for the first time, wrestling Cody Chun and that whole experience, man. So luckily, like I was already pretty good friends with uh, Dave, Max, and Chris. Uh, Chris was actually someone who helped me come up. And I, the year time that went between those two battle manias I was just talking about, I think a lot of my growth came from Chris Ross. Like He helped me so much just really over overdo my entire character could come up with something different that was actually going to work and like when they asked me to be a part of their first one like i was really honored i didn't think i'd earned a spot to be able to be a part of their first show i was thinking like second or third show maybe but like to be one of the first matches anybody ever sees from without a cause and basically being told like this is our product help us display it we we trust you that was really cool um, wrestling Cody Chun still to this day, probably my favorite match I've ever been in. Like re- Cody is so much fun to wrestle. And I, I guess at the end of the day, I get to say like, I'm one and oh against Cody Chun. So I'll just, I'm going to take a sip of water on that one. There you go, my man. And, you know, and, uh, just to put Cody over and how big that win is. Like he's done a lot of great things around here, you know, has had some great matches at uh, fire wrestling and whack and a lot of other places. But recently we all know he's been over there or over there down there at AEW wrestling on some dark. I can honestly say there's nothing negative I can say about Cody Sean. Like <laughs> the man puts in the work. He, he didn't get handed a spot at AEW. Like, you know, he had to earn it some way, shape or form. He got that spot because he earned that spot. Oh yeah, man. He, he works hard, man. He's, he's a great dude. But then, uh, it looks like in, uh, November you came back, you tagged up with Chase James and, uh, you guys got a, another win and a, uh, you look like a handicap match that day. <laughs> it's like you took on uh Miggs in there. Must, what, how was it getting in the rings with Steve Miggs? Uh, funny enough, like I trained with Miggs when he was coming up through everything and even then, it's still kind of weird because I used to listen to his radio show in the mornings on my way to work. <laughs> and then one day, he shows up to training. Was that like kind of weird? Like, uh, Mr. DJ here, he wants to wrestle with yeah. us? Oh, it was really weird. Like, I, not weird in like a bad way. It was like, I, why do you want to wrestle with us? <laughs> you have a successful career. You're, you're going to come wrestle? Yeah. Normally it's the other way around. <laughs> you know, I was hanging out with, um, I did this thing with Schaff one time at a place in Bremerton, like a, a interview thing. And we were talking and someone said, Hey, who, who would you like to see Schaff wrestle? And he showed me, he's like, lots of people were saying Steve Miggs. And he was like, why would Steve Miggs want to get in the ring with me? He's got a, he's got a wife and he had a job. Why would he want to get in there and get destroyed? <laughs> <laughs> If you watched Migs at at Whack, oh. I can honestly say there is nobody more hated and loved at the same time than that man. Oh, it is, man. It, it's great. Uh, he's done so much there, man. You know, he's had some really fun matches. You know, he comes out and just like bugs the crowd if he's doing nothing else. Like, puts a big promo on. And that match with him and Pitfall was something else. I don't know. I can't remember if you were there that night or what, but. Uh, I don't know if you remember seeing that match, man, that, uh, 
no DQ match. They were hitting each other with videotapes and all kinds of stuff. And the kids <laughs> came up and start pitfall. And he invited all the kids up to get in line to, to, to chop Steve Miggs. And it was amazing. <laughs> I, funny enough, I wasn't there for that match, but I did later watch it on YouTube when WAC finally released it. And I just remember watching the entire thing going like, why is Pitfall a good guy? <laughs> so, so used to this man, like being a bad guy. So weird. It was weird seeing children cheer for him. Oh, it was something else. But then like about two, three kids like chopped him. And then all of a sudden Daniel Maccabe jumped in the line. Like he was some big kid and gave him some real chop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Fun times at WAC, man. I, I really enjoy their shows, man. You've been there quite a few times now. Oh yeah, I, I love Whack. I honestly, it was the place of like kind of travel. It it challenged me to be more than like the three, two, one had their style. It was more comedic, more entertainment. But Whack has their. They want to put on a good show. They want to. They want to see what you can do in the ring. And it was the first show that actually like challenged me to like, what can I do in the ring, not just be this bare character. Like, what can I actually put on for this crowd? And show them that like I can actually wrestle. I don't just come in the bare come in with bare necessities. I <laughs> actually can come in and put on a show in the ring. Oh man! And you've recently been a part of Whack without a crowd, right? Yeah, that was something else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how how is that for you? You know, I don't know if you've wrestled in too many empty arena matches. So suddenly you're going to Everett and you're wrestling in front of without a cause without a crowd. Yeah, how is that way different from wrestling in front of a hundred or two hundred of people? I'm sure people have heard it from like current WWE wrestlers or other people like doing with no crowd shows. Like it's weird. <laughs> like I I enjoy wrestling, but like I'm in my mind trying to think, okay, how would a crowd react to this move? How do they react to this? How how am I supposed to react to this when no one's reacting to it? Uh do I yell? Do I lay here? I don't. I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> like I overthink it a lot, but like it's it's still a lot of fun. It's another challenge of mine that I like. At the end of the day, I get to say I did it, and I get to say like I ended up. It was the first championship I ever wrestled for at WAC. It was the Stallions Cup or the Stallions Belt. Yeah, it looks like it was you, Drexel. Migs, and then uh, is it Kieda Murray? Murray? Uh, Kita Murray. Kita Murray. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah. it looks like he went over, man. But uh, how fun was that match? Oh, that was so much fun. I've never been in the ring with Drexel before, so like being in the ring with him was amazing. I I remember. Oh, uh, well, he threw a chair at my head. That wasn't very fun, to be honest. <laughs> I bet it wasn't. And then, I, can't, uh, I can't really feel good. No, right? that, no, that hurt. Remind me of my first day of wrestling practice. Just instantly, my bell is rung, and then Miggs is grabbing me and throwing me down on the ground to pin me. <laughs> and then again, I expect nothing less from Miggs. He tends to get the cheap shot then. Well, you did take him on at a, a whack show, and I think he got the best of you, did he not? Probably cheated. I'll just put it this way. Aside from a loss here and there, I'm still undefeated in pro wrestling. <laughs> That's right. I saw that today <laughs> or yesterday on your Twitter feed. I'm going to go ahead and believe that. 
Miggs is very fun to wrestle. Just very frustrating because he doesn't shut up the entire time. You are correct. But uh, <laughs> just being uh, seeing him at so many shows, man, uh, and he's phenomenal, man. He plays a, a great heel, and at the end of the day, he goes home, and now he's a daddy and a, and a, and a husband. <laughs> but, uh, man, uh, you know, jumping away from uh, Without a Cause real quick, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up real quick was this uh, SOS Pro Wrestling, man. Uh, dude, that looked like that was a lot of fun, watching the series on YouTube you were the first ever uh, SOS Pro Wrestling Champion because it looked like you stabbed Pitfall in the back. <laughs> but uh, tell us about SOS, how much fun that was, how weird it was just taping without anyone again and you're just outside and then uh, winning that title. Uh, well, SOS is a lot of fun because it's literally just, I don't know how to describe it other than it's like Lucha Underground. Lost and Survivor <laughs> all mixed together. Yep. Uh, they, like filming this more like an episodic series rather than a pro wrestling show was definitely weird, but it got more and more fun because we basically like we were just told, hey, you're on an island. Here's my question. How do you feel about this? And you just kind of go off and you I had to figure out like how would I react on an island? <laughs> I I don't know how I would react on an island. So then I don't know. It was just a challenge to figure that out. And that was a lot of fun <laughs> to figure it out. I don't know how to describe it really. Like it was something else and it was a lot of fun to be a part of for and, that first season. And it was perfect, oh. man. The, the way it came out during this pandemic, you know, we need things to watch during this pandemic, you know, it's a bunch of big binge watching on, you know, Netflix and all these other places. But, uh, for SOS to come out, man, it was really a lot of fun tuning in each, each week, uh, seeing the different kind of matchups that they would announce and all the surprises on the show. You know, we didn't, there was people that popped up here and there. We didn't, you know, know we're going to be on the show and it was really a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the folks that were setting all that up and, uh, you know, Jepson and some of those folks, and that was good stuff. I, I think the cool thing is I've never gotten the chance to be a bad guy, so SOS is the first time I get the opportunity to do that. Also, I think it's the first time in pro wrestling history anyone won the title by stabbing another man. <laughs> I think so, <laughs> man. That was a. Uh, did you have to sharpen up that branch pretty good before you jabbed him? Uh, I just broke it off. There you go. I'm a little bit, I'm a little rugged in a sense. I just grabbed it and did it <laughs> with pleasure. So, Hey man, uh, we've been talking, man, it, 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 over an hour and almost 10 minutes now, uh, probably time to wrap this up for the night. But, uh, dude, you said you had a story about, uh, you know, you were supposed to be on a defy show. Yes. So the defy to survive match. Oh yeah. That happened early 2020. Uh, I was contacted early in that January to be a part of it. And I was very excited because I, I had been working so hard over like the year previous to that, to get onto a defy. Like I started showing up to shows to help out with the ring crew. 
I was training harder in the ring. I was training harder in the gym. I tried bulking up, trying to do everything I could to finally like, be asked to be a part of it was like, such an honor for me to be able just to, to say, yes, I will absolutely be a part of this match. I'm so excited to do it. And then we get to the day before the show. I started having weird stomach issues that I never had before. And at first I'm like, oh, maybe I just ate something weird. But then like, it started to become like a dull pain. I didn't know what was going on. It got to the point where it was like 11 at night. I finally decided I can't do this pain anymore. Mm. I go to the doctor and I find out like, oh, like you're, you're a couple hours away from your uh, appendix bursting. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, like it was pretty close. They were like, oh, we're happy you came in when you did because, uh, yeah, it would not have been good, good if this burst on you. It, it it was like the day the night before the show spending my time in the hospital trying to text bosses friends and everything having to text a promoter to find oh, tell them like hey i can't make it man that sucks man i'm sorry that happened to you because that would have been a really good moment for you man hey it just it makes the next time that much better that's right. That's right. Uh, hopefully you cleared up that, uh, issue. Uh, I, I hope so. I mean, my panties got taken out that night Oh, okay. or technically that morning. So it wasn't like it, you were just nervous, man. This freaking appendix just was going on you. Yeah. It, it, it just went out. Uh, the way I like to put it is my, uh, my appendix turned heel on me the night before my oh. biggest show. Man, I'm so sorry, but uh, like you said, <laughs> you got to stay positive. It's hopefully it will come around again for you, my friend. I hope so, and I just know the next time it comes around, I actually do get the chance to be in front of a Defy crowd. Like it'll it'll mean that much more to me because it means I I waited that much longer oh, to do man. this. You deserve it. You work your ass off, but anyway, man. Uh, some final stuff here. Uh, is there any merch out there that we can grab? Uh, yeah, so you can check it out on Brainbuster Tees. Uh, you go to the wrestler section. I think I'm one of the first ones on there. I think it's still under Jacob Sumas right now. I'm trying to figure out how to switch that, but I'll figure it out eventually. Uh, it'll be Jacob Sumas or Jacob Oso on BrainbusterTees.com. All right, all right, all right. Um, and then uh, if folks wanted to follow you on the old social medias, how do we do that? Uh, Twitter and Instagram are both at Cubathy, uh, C-U-B-B-A-T-H-Y. And if people wanted to book you for a upcoming wrestling event, when, and if those things start happening, uh, Jacob dot cubby at gmail.com. Uh, Jacob spelled J A C U B. Nice, nice, nice. Hey man, anything coming up for you as, as far as appearances that you know of? Probably not. Uh, none that I know of right now. I'm, that, you know. I'm going to try and take it easy the rest of this pandemic, try to focus on myself. Well, hopefully this pandemic will start changing shifts next, uh, or this Wednesday, I should say at noon when the new administration takes the thing, but that's a whole different story. But anyway, my <laughs> man, uh, final thoughts before, uh, we head off in the sunset tonight. I just, thank you for having me on, man. Thanks for asking me to be a part of this. Like I've listened to to this off and on over the past couple of years. And like, it, it feels really good to actually like be on one and to be asked to be on one too. That was, I, I don't know how any other thing other than say, thank you for allowing me to be honest. 
This episode recorded at the Bigfoot headquarters. This has been a Swagamore production. Production.